0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org slash sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. For these three weeks during the month of November, we have spent our time dedicated to reflecting on how the discipleship path, worshiping God, connecting in groups, and serving Him together is cultivated and cultivates generosity. Uh, we began our time reflecting on how our act of worship, step one, following Jesus, we have to worship him. And when we come together to worship him, it has an effect on us. When we worship Jesus, who is generous to us, he begins to reproduce his character in us, and he reproduces his generosity in us. But that's not all he wants to do, is it? We connect with others in a group, that next step beyond gathering together on Sunday, whether it's a Sunday school, a small group, or a deep Uh, discipleship band, uh, to pray, to care for one another, to learn, to read the scriptures. And in those deeper connections, we are more deeply formed. And again, by giving ourselves to each other, we are cultivating that spirit of generosity amongst ourselves. Well today we come to the third step on the discipleship path. If we are worshiping Jesus, step one. If we are connecting to go deeper with our brothers and sisters in Jesus, step two. Uh, We are cultivating generous lives. But now when we come to that third step of actually Stepping out and serving by engaging one another in specific ways that impact the community, the life of the church, the community outside the church, and even certain places in the rest of the world. That's where we want to focus on today. And we are focusing on that as we reflect on the fifteenth chapter, or part of the fifteenth chapter, of Paul's letter to the Romans, and you may have noticed that the language of service came up multiple times in this uh, in Paul's sort of explanation of his travel plans to the Romans. Uh, he describes the work that he's done. He describes some of the geography he has uh, passed over and where he's been planning churches, and he describes his ministry to the churches in terms of. Service, And as we look at his reflections on his service, as we think through these texts and the logic of the text, and what the apostle is up to, as we consider his plans and hopes for mission, we will discover that God employs our service to embody his generosity. That happens in Paul's life. It also happens in the lives of the communities he creates and cultivates, and it happens in our lives as well. When we give ourselves to serve alongside one another in mission, locally, globally, God employs our service to embody his generous character. Now we see this in the life of Paul, don't we? Who employs this language of service. And that's one reason I hope I want you to see that when we talk about serving together, that third step on the path, you want to follow Jesus, follow the path, worship together, connect together, serve together. That third step is deeply biblical language. We didn't just kind of pull it out of thin air and say, this is good, let's get people to do some things, and we'll call them serve teams. And, you know, that's. The language is rooted in Scripture. It's rooted in the Gospels. Jesus deploys His disciples and His followers to serve. We see it in the letters. Paul sees his ministry as an act of service. And he invites the churches he serves to join him in that ministry, doesn't he? And so for Paul, all of his life is a life of service to God and to the church And to the nations that do not yet know the gospel. The strange thing about this text is the way that Paul describes his service. And you may have noticed this. He begins by uh, describing his confidence in the Roman Christians to whom he's writing. He's grateful for their goodness. They're filled with knowledge. They're able to instruct one another. Verse 15, even still, he has written quite boldly to them about some things. He's written boldly to them about justification by faith and how they're reconciled to God. He's written boldly to them about how the Spirit of God wants to set them free from bondage and slavery to sin in chapter 6 and in chapter 8. He's written to them about cultivating unity and shared mission in their community because it looks like from chapter 14 that the Roman church was dividing a bit. There were some maybe more Jewish believers and some Gentile believers who didn't necessarily want to sit down because they were having some disagreements over whether the menu was kosher or not. And so Paul's written to them quite boldly calling upon them to be unified for the gospel and not to sacrifice the gospel for their preferences or their kind of presuppositions, but to be unified for the gospel. And so he's grateful for their ministry, but he's spoken to them somewhat boldly. And now he is expressing his desire to come and visit them as he executes his ministry which is a gift of God's grace, and here's how he describes it. Verse 15. The grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles. Right, You've got the Jews, you've got the Gentiles. From a Jewish perspective, you've got Jews and everyone else. So the nations. He says, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations. And here's the strange part in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, why is it strange? Well, it's strange because Paul wasn't a priest, was he? I mean, we know Paul, we know kind of his biography, a lot of us. If you don't, he he kind of grew up in a religious sect within Judaism. He was a Pharisee, which is kind of an unofficial grassroots... hold on to the tradition of our patriarch's movement, but it wasn't official. It didn't have official status. He was not one of the priestly class. He wasn't part of the Levitical priesthood. He didn't get up in the morning and put on the robe and go through the purification process and the turban and the breastplate with all the colored jewels. Like Paul was not one of those guys. He wasn't a priest. And yet, he considered his mission. He considered his work among the nations. He considered his service to be priestly in nature. Why is that? What's going on here? Paul considers his ministry to be priestly in nature because Paul knows the story. He knows the big picture. He's read his Bible. He knows what God wants and he knows what God has called his people to. To do and who God has called His people to be. You may remember the story of the Exodus. God's people, slaves in a land not their own, in Egypt. They cry out to God for deliverance Where are you? Why have you abandoned us? You promised our father Abraham that you would be faithful, that you would bless his family, and here we are, slaves. And so God raised up someone to lead them out. And as the story goes on, Moses confronts Pharaoh, and there are some clashes, and God reveals his power, and he delivers his people from captivity, and he brings them out in manifestations of His glory and His power to the foot of a mountain, the mountain called Sinai. And we get the account of what happens at the foot of that mountain in Exodus 19. And that's where we find out that God wants two things for His people. He wants them to be His people. He has delivered them to Himself. And He reminds them, doesn't He? If you read through those first few verses of Exodus 19, I've delivered you from slavery. I've brought you on eagle's wings to Myself to be My special treasure, we are told. And here's what that means. He wants them to be a holy nation, but He also wants them to be a priestly kingdom. Before we ever get around to Aaron and the Levites, Before we ever get priests who wear turbans and bejeweled breastplates and white robes and all of those kinds of things. Before we ever get to that, God says, I want all of my people to have a priestly vocation. Right? All the nations of the world, God says, belong to me. But you have a special role. You will be a nation of priests. You will stand between me and you will stand between and you will stand between me and the other nations, and you will embody my character. And that's why I'm giving you my my law, so that you know how to embody my character. And then you will bring the nations to worship me. You can follow this trajectory all the way through the Old Testament. The prophets say the day will come when the nations will rush to Mount Zion to worship the only true living God. Because the people of God exist to bring the nations to worship the one God. And the people of God exist to embody the character of the one God to the nations and to declare the glories of His gospel. That's where Paul's going, isn't it? Paul understands that God has called His people, the Jewish people in this instance, to stand between God and the nations. Declare the glories of gospel. And so he says, I have this priestly service informed by Exodus 19 and the foot of Mount Sinai. And that service is the proclamation of the gospel. Priestly service of the gospel of God. And notice how Paul reads the, the, the big story as an integrated whole. He doesn't just kind of go to the Old Testament and and... and fail to connect the dots between Exodus and Jesus. He doesn't sort of say, well, you got Moses over there doing his thing. you got Abraham back there in Genesis doing his thing. He understands that what God began in Abraham and continued in Moses comes to its climax in Jesus. Because after all, this global blessing thing starts with Abraham, doesn't it? Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a family. And your family is going to be a blessing to every other family on earth. All of that comes to its yes in Jesus, doesn't it? So Paul understands that there's this big picture, that there's one family called to take the gospel to the nations. This is his priestly service. This is his priestly service. It is a service that is aimed at a result. The result for Paul is nothing less than the obedience of the nations. He says this in verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to win obedience from the Gentiles. Take a minute and Just let it sink in what he's saying. His goal isn't simply just to go preach the gospel and do some evangelism. His goal is to preach the gospel, do the evangelism, plant some churches that become disciple-making centers so that people are increasingly obeying Jesus. I mean, just let this sink in. My goal, Paul tells us, is Christ working through me To win the obedience of the nations. And that's not just some sort of wooden legalism. It's not, well, you know, let's just obey Jesus and He'll be happy. and We'll be good Christians. This is about embodying the character. This is about fulfilling the Great Commission. It's about Jesus sending out His apostles to teach the nations to obey everything He commands. And Paul takes that on board and actually does it. And it's stunning if you re- if you pay it, like if you look at the geography that he claims to have covered. He continues, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to win obedience from the nations by word and deed, power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, right? Paul is at work. The Spirit of God is present when he preaches. The Spirit isn't just kind of hanging back to see what will happen. The Spirit of God is present in the preaching of the gospel to produce conviction and to convert the lost to Christ. Paul says, I've been doing this, and this is, like, this is the thing. Maybe you caught this when we read through it. So that from Jerusalem, as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Like, let that sink in for just a minute. I think most of us probably could find Jerusalem on a map. You get the Picture the Mediterranean. you got Jerusalem. I guess I need to stand backwards. You can just kind of reverse the map in your head. Uh, I'll try to do it from your angle. Jerusalem is on the um, western edge, eastern edge of the Mediterranean. And basically, Paul works his way back westward and if you want to know where he says he has been, Illyricum, where in the world is that? If you can remember this over lunch, I'll be very impressed. To try to spell it. Illyricum, most of us know where it, the boot that makes up Italy is, right? Remember the boot from grade school? We can always find Italy because it looks like a boot. And then, ah, just east of there, you have the Adriatic Sea. If My geography off. Somebody can let me know later. And then east of that, you've got what's now the Greek Peninsula. And then east of that is modern day Turkey. And then you come back around to Jerusalem. The Lyricum is that part of the western, eastern coast of the Adriatic Sea, the west side of that Greek Peninsula. So you've got the boot, you've got Greece, you've got Turkey, you've got Jerusalem. Paul is basically saying he has successfully evangelized everywhere from Jerusalem all the way around to the western coast of that Greek peninsula. That's a pretty serious claim. That's a lot of ground. Now does he mean he's talked to every last person walking around in every last neighborhood? No, what he means is he has planted churches in strategic locations so that over the long term the gospel will blossom out from those places. This is his priestly service. This is his priestly service. Proclaiming the gospel of God's unfailing, perfect love. And this is embodied in generosity, isn't it? He keeps talking about the collection, the offering. And we've uh, we've reflected on this before, just to catch us up. Uh, Paul was embarked on a massive undertaking, where he knew that the church in Jerusalem was struggling in poverty. And so he went to the churches in among the Gentiles and took up a collection. He's a preacher after all. That's what we do, right? Take up collections. No one ever laughs when I make preacher jokes about taking up collections. I mean, that's supposed to. It's not funny, is it? Takes up a collection that he wants to send back to Jerusalem as a sign of solidarity. And that's what he means in. Verse 27, when he talks about, verse 26, Macedonia, Achaia, having been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, they were pleased to do this. Indeed, they owe it to him, for if the Gentiles have come to the share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material things. So Paul is engaged in this service, and he's inviting the other churches to embody generosity as an act of service, To their fellow believers whom they've never met but live on another part live in another part of the world. Service is an expression of generosity. Not just for Paul, but for all of the churches he has planted. This priestly ministry that Paul's engaged in isn't just a solo gig for one apostle trucking it around the Mediterranean. It's the thing he's trying to reproduce in each of the churches he's planted. And in the church in Rome which he didn't plant. Why? Because God employs our service to embody his generous character. God is overwhelmingly generous. I mean, he's generous to Paul. He's generous to the Romans. He's generous to us. He has set his love on his people And he has called his people and reconciled us in Christ. And not just so we could hang out and be a holy huddle of Christians who just kind of do our thing. But so that we could be his representatives to our neighbors and to the nations embodying his generous character. That's the thing that's going on. We look at these travel plans and we consider them and what's going on and what God is doing and how God is at work and what Paul is up to and what the passions are and what the affections are. What's going on here? This is about the church embodying the character of God in service to its own members. And beyond, because Paul is not interested in simply raising funds for the church in Jerusalem. He's going to do that. He's going to go back. He's going to deliver the offering. But then he's coming back to Rome. This guy gets around, doesn't he? I mean, he's got a lot of big plans. It's a lot harder to get around in the ancient world than it is now. He's going to come to Rome, he says, and I'm going to let I'm going to spend some time with you, and we're going to nurture each other. And then you're going to send me on to Spain because I want to preach the gospel to people who've never heard it before. Just allow the ambition of the Apostle Paul to settle with you for a minute. This guy has big plans. I mean, basically, he's made it from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Remember where that is? And he plans to make it all the way to Spain. I mean, this guy thinks before he dies, he's going to plant churches along the entire northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. That's his goal. Because he wants to see little pockets. A divine generosity sprouting up all over the Roman Empire and bearing fruit and transforming the cities in which they are planted and the culture in which they flourish. God employs our service to embody his generosity. Passages like this are helpful for me. We talk about mission a lot. And it's easy sometimes to let that be a strategy, and only a strategy, or an abstract concept. And You know, we think about it, and we work through the issues. It's helpful for me to remember that mission is really about people, isn't it? When I read Paul... Say things like, those who have never been told of Him shall see. Those who have never heard of Him shall understand. Reminds me that for all the planning and for all the, the thinking and all the reflecting, there is an actual engagement with real people who need to know fullness in Christ. That's the work that we do. Notice for Paul, there's a local and a global element. He's very interested in cultivating local churches. That I mean, he's a church planter, basically. He goes around to different places, Philippi, all these different places, and plants churches. That's a local expression. But he's encouraging those churches to think globally. And they can't do everything, can they? But they could pitch in a little bit for the folks over in Jerusalem. And maybe the Roman ones, the Roman church, can send him on to Spain. Local and global. He also thinks about nurturing folks who are already a part of the church and reaching folks who are not, doesn't he? Because he's writing this letter to nurture and strengthen the church in Rome, to help them grow in grace, to help them walk together. And he's inviting them to become participants in his mission to Spain. So that he's not the only one embodying God's generosity, but they're joining him in that expression as well. He wants them to see that the service he engages in, and the service they participate in, embody God's abundant grace and love. His abundance in Jesus. And that's important because sometimes when we talk about serving, it can deteriorate. It can deteriorate into kind of a obligation. Well, it's my turn on the schedule. Well, the preacher's calling again. He's probably going to want me to cook something at something. Well, they probably need somebody else to open the door on Sunday morning and pass out the we don't really pass things out quite like we used to now in the days of global pandemics, but to greet people on Sunday morning. What's that? Somebody can't make it this weekend and you need me to step in at the last minute? <laughs> and oftentimes we're eager to do it and we're happy to do it, but sometimes, you know, we, the, 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 It can wear on us and we begin to feel kind of strained and I must be on that list of people that he calls every time he needs some help and if it's not him, it's the other people on staff or the assistant in the office and they just reach out and they want like, isn't there anyone else they can call and I'm just a little bit burned out and we need to... It can become a sense and we can feel obliged. And if we move from this embodying God's character generosity service to obliged duty service, it's a recipe for... Burnout and no mission. And it's a red flag, isn't it? And so we need to be thinking about how we can cultivate healthy service, right? You take a turn in one serve team, you're not going to be there for the next 25 years unless you want to be. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, you start teaching children Sunday school and you think, man, this is a never-ending commitment. (laughs) And maybe we could give them folks a few months off if they need it or if they want it, and then come back in later if they want, and just cultivating healthy service. So that we're not focused on the duty or the obligation, but we are focused instead on the generous giving of ourselves to one another. Because there are things that just have to be done if we're going to operate. Obviously. There's things that have to be done if we're going to operate. If we're going to have effective ministries, we're going to have to have people serving in the nursery. And it can be a difficult thing to do. And it can be taxing. You know, you're trying to read a Bible story to the kids and they're not quite paying attention and maybe you just want to you know, let's color this, you know, Moses and the Mount Sinai color sheet and they're breaking the crayons and somebody's diaper needs to be changed and it can be stressful in those moments. The folks who worked in nursery in the early service are smiling right now. And we can think, you know, I just, it's tough. But if we can remember that the time that we give to those kids is shaping their walk with Jesus for the rest of their life. It's not this, well, oh, it's my turn. It's this, I get to give Jesus to a baby today. That's a different approach, isn't it? And that's one reason we're talking about generosity not as just something we do, but as a way of life. Right? Generosity isn't something I do when my name comes up on the quarterly schedule. Generosity isn't something I do when they pass out those cards in November. Generosity isn't just something I do you know, when it's time to go serve on a mission team. Generosity is the way of life of the people of God because generosity is lodged in the heart of God Himself. And throughout the ages, whether it's Paul in the first century or Hope, Holy United Methodist Church in the 21st century genera- service is always about embodying the character of God to each other, to the kids, to the youth. You know, Some of you are going to cook meals for the students on Sunday evenings. Others are going to prepare casseroles and Others are going to pack mugs and others are going to visit shut-ins. and I mean, There's all kinds of things that are going to be happening to nurture the people of God and enable us to launch the mission to the places God is calling us to go. So we have an invitation then, don't we? To embody generosity. And there are a couple of ways we can do that. One is through our financial commitment to the church. Um, You may have received, you should have received when you came in, the 2021 commitment card. They come out every year in November, don't they? Uh, This year, we emailed out an electronic version since COVID-19. A lot of our folks are continuing to worship at home through the live stream and haven't yet uh, felt safe to come back. That's okay. We emailed those out uh, a couple days ago. We'll probably send them out again on Sunday if you want to use the commitment card electronically. That's not the same thing as signing up to give online. It's just saying, here's what I'm projecting I'll be able to do next year. Now, I want to share with you as well, though, what that means and what it looks like. And another thing that you should have received when you came in is a piece of paper that says 2021 budget projection. See if I can get mine out without dropping everything in my hand. Uh, 2021 budget projection has this generous life at the top and a bar graph on it. If you're into bar graphs, this handout is for you. If you're not, sorry. Uh, so just a couple of quick things. It's been uh, an interesting and helpful, helpful year in a variety of ways, even amidst challenges. Uh, you'll see there that we are projecting our budget to be around $316,000 for next year. Here's why that's good news. The budget for this year was (laughs) $322,000. So, uh, you know, it's not every year that church budgets go down, but our anticipated uh, budget is probably going to go down next year, and there are a couple reasons why uh, that I want to share with you. If you take a look at your bar graph, you'll see a column at the very end called Apportionments uh, with $17,900 and some change. Apportionments are the monies that we contribute to the larger denomination. that helps out district level areas, uh, things like that, um, different kinds of ministries that the annual conference engages in, and things like that. Every United Methodist Church is supposed to be participating in that, and in any denomination where people are connected, you tend to give part of your uh, finances to the denomination and even in some uh, in, 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 in denominations where you have autonomous local churches, there's still usually some giving to the denominational entity. So this is a common thing across denominational lines. This is the place, though, where our uh, responsibilities have gone down a great deal in the last couple of years, and here's why. Um, at the beginning of this year, that number for us was $28,000. Uh, When COVID-19 hit, the the annual conference understood that chances were giving was going to get hit as well, and so they dropped them all a percentage. So ours went from 28 to 21, just like that. The conference also slashed its budget for next year. And if the conference budget goes down, that means the amount that all the churches contribute to the conference budget also goes down. And that's how we get from 22ish to 17ish. Again, these are projections, and uh, you know, but this is kind of where we expect to be for next year. So, all that to say, we started out 2019 expecting a $28,000 expenditure, and we'll come to the beginning of did I say 2019. We start out 2020 with the expectation of a $28,000 expenditure. We'll come to January 2021 with where that line has become a $17,000. Expenditure, so that is one of the reasons it has dropped. It's gone up in a co- in one other place, and it's gone up in the best place, and it's gone up in the place it should go up, and that's in the missions column. Uh, missions, uh, if you're on the missions committee, you'll already be familiar with what I'm about to tell you. Um, the other b- bars in the graph stay pretty much the same: staffing, uh, worship, and operations. I am most excited about our missions budget, and my hope and goal is that we grow incrementally in our missions expenditures every year. Uh, It's nice this year, our apportionments came down, and so we've got a little room to work there. So in our missions expenditures, um, Mike and I sat down uh, a month or two ago, and he's brought a lot of that to the missions team, and they brought it back to the finance committee, so these things have worked their way through. Uh, But we want to be growing both locally and globally. We want to focus on local partnerships, you know, so you don't have to have a passport to go serve. You can just go into, you know, this location at this time and here's an opportunity to serve. Uh, And then we're going to focus on global partnerships, which are really kind of tough right now because we can't really go anywhere outside the country at this point. But the day will come when we will be able to. Nevertheless, we're still doing both. Uh, and you all have been doing this long before I ever came here as pastor, right? Supporting churches in Costa Rica and ministries in Costa Rica, and supporting Friendship Mission. Those folks are still in the budget, and they're staying there. The expansion comes in two ways: one local, one global. The first one is that, at beginning in January, we will make monthly or quarterly contributions to the First Choice Women's uh, Women's Crisis Center, Women's Resource Center. I'm sorry, I mispronounced that. First Choice Women's Resource Center. And this is uh, an organization which is present in the river region to serve women in crisis pregnancy. So put yourself in that position for a moment. You are in a crisis, you don't know what to do, you don't know how you'll pay the bills, you don't know how you'll finish your education, you don't know how your family will respond, you don't know, and you have questions. The folks at First Choice are there, Provide ultrasounds and diapers and counseling and care and compassion. It's a crucial ministry to make sure that women and their families in crisis know the church cares and to preserve life. We don't want to just send checks, we want to build relationships. And so the director of First Choice uh, has accepted my invitation to come and meet you, I believe, on January 17th in both services. So Bethany Garth is her name, and she'll be with us on January 17th, third Sunday in January, uh, to tell us about how they are embodying compassion and generosity in the River Region and how you can help. And take a moment to consider... And I get, friends, that this is a highly politicized and highly divisive thing. What I want you to consider is that you could have the opportunity to put in a couple hours on a Tuesday afternoon, answer the phone, when somebody's world is falling apart, and say, hey, we're here for you. We're here for And we love you. And we're never going to let go. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of people the world needs. That's the kind of church the world needs. So I'm excited. I'm excited that we will have opportunities again, not just to send out contributions, but actually build relationships take care of people, and serve alongside brothers and sisters in Christ in this area to follow Jesus and change the world starting right next door. The second expenditure is a second increase in the missions budget is the Coppage family. Many of you will remember meeting them when they were here in 2019 before they went back to Uganda. Billy and Joanna Coppage and their kids are missionaries in Uganda and We are committing the same amount to them on a monthly basis of $100 a month. So that green bar increased by $2,400 from this year to next year. And uh, so it's good to be able to bring the budget down and still spend more on the mission and spend more on people's lives and spend more on care and compassion and church planting and equipping pastors around the world. I'm so grateful. I am so, so grateful for this church. Mike, I'm so grateful for the vision of the commitment to the mission. So grateful to the folks who say, yeah, we can get on board with that. It makes a difference. That's what Jesus has called us to do. When you fill out that commitment card, this is the kind of stuff those dollars are going to do. That's the kind of work they're going to do. And you'll have the opportunity to not just send a few dollars here and there, but to actually go and engage and make a difference yourself. We also, uh, beyond giving generously, want to serve generously. And so you received a serve team sign-up uh, when you came in or should have. That also went out in an email earlier this week. We'll send those out again uh, first of the week for folks who want to use them. And uh, this is about you having the opportunity to embody the generosity we're talking about. Whether it's the nursery. Whether it's greeting. Whether it's grabbing grabbing the trash on the way out after worship service. Whether it's writing notes to folks who can't get out of their homes or making a phone call, whether it's working on a media team, whatever it is, we are invited to nurture one another, to serve one another, to give ourselves to each other as Christ has given himself to us. And it's not simply, again, an obligation, it's an opportunity to embody the generosity of God. I also want to emphasize that uh, some of those commitments happen during worship services. Right? Somebody's in the nursery. (laughs) That means they're not in the sanctuary. And that's where I'm glad that we have two worship services on Sunday mornings, one at 8.30 and one at 11 o'clock, so that if you are in the nursery during one, you can worship in the other hour. Because remember that discipleship path? Step one, worship. Step two, connect. Step three, serve. Serving on step three should not take you off the path on step one. The path is not contradictory. Taking one step to follow Jesus doesn't mean backtracking in another area. And so one of our maxims is worship one, work one. If there's something that takes you out of worship to serve, whether you're preparing a meal, or taking care of kids, or whatever it is, don't give up the time in worship. Work one, worship one. Because again, generosity isn't just something we do, it's a way of life, and it's a way of life cultivated in the worship of God. So we have an invitation, don't we? We have an invitation to... Be God's representatives. To be employed in His service. Not because we have to, but because we are invited to participate in His kindness. We have an invitation to commit ourselves. Uh, If you want to fill those papers out today, you can drop them in the gray baskets in the back of the room. uh, Or... The online versions are are there as well. And if you really are in the room and you have the paper but you like the online version, you can scan that little code and it'll take you right where you need to be. My prayer is that when you do it, it will be an act of worship, an act of self-giving love, an act of generosity, embodying the character of God to the people of God, for his glory, for our good. And for the life of the world, friends, that's what he's called us to do. More importantly, that's who he has called us to be. You've been listening to Sermoncast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopehole umc slash sermons. And subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.